Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Scared money don't make money. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. We're back with the preview for Pittsburgh, Virginia Tech 7 and 3, Pittsburgh 7 and 3. A lot to unpack in this one. A massive game for Virginia Tech. Only two games remaining. Last one inside Lane Stadium. Last one for Bud Foster. Joined tonight by Doug. What's going on? Not much. I guess we're here. Uh, two games to go. Everything on the line. This is kind of where you want, want to be at this point of the year. Yeah, meaningful football in November. And it's so sweet to be a part of it. Especially after... Um... Last year, I guess they played beating in full football in 2016 and 2017. But then before that, it hadn't been since 2011. So, you know, off and on here, but it's better to be in November playing meaningful games. And I also have to admit that we're no longer an official podcast anymore because the college football rankings stripped Virginia Tech of their number 25 because they take precedent over the AP Top 25 poll which did rank Virginia Tech. So I'm a little upset over that. I mean, initial reactions to the college football rankings, do they get it right? So I guess we're an unranked podcast um, across the board now. I haven't seen us on many leaderboards anywhere, but um, I think, yeah, whatever. Virginia Tech's probably around 25th. I think Frank could probably do a little more lobbying there on, uh, on Virginia Tech's behalf to get him into the top 25. Yeah, and I know there was a question about it, whether it would be better to be ranked or not. And we'll get to some questions later after we do the preview. Um, maybe it is a good thing for the team not to get too high before this game. Already a lot of fans on social media looking ahead to UVA. But you cannot look past Pittsburgh, a really solid team. Just beat UNC in overtime. Now they're coming into Lane Stadium. These games have historically been close. Pittsburgh... The winners of seven out of the last ten. The last one stings for many Hokies fans out there. 52-22. to 22, The most absurd rushing performance I've ever seen in my entire life. I think there, there's been a lot of games that I've gone back on and rewatched them. And that 
sticks out is one of the few that I did not because Quadre Olison and Darren it. Hall <laughs> burn the tape. I, I I don't think Bud Foster is the type to burn the tape, but if he is, you know, and over the next couple years of his retirement, if he's going back to watch some of those games just to relive the glory days, that is not going to be one of them. Um, we thought Georgia Tech two weeks before that was bad on the ground, and then um, I was actually in Key West watching that one. <laughs> Um, at the only sports bar on Duval Street, um, waiting for a wedding to get started. But uh, that was about as brutal defensive performance as uh, Virginia Tech's had under Bud Foster. And now moving into this iteration of Pittsburgh, a little different. Both those tailbacks, Darren Hall, Quadre Olison, gone, departed, relief everywhere, rejoice everywhere. It's a different, much different uh, Pittsburgh offense and the defense. I mean, with so I, I think they had 24 seniors last year, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, many of them have gone and graduated onto better things. And Pittsburgh just reloaded. I made a, a statement in the podcast last week that it doesn't really matter who wears the jersey for Pittsburgh. They just always have dudes that really relate to their style of football and Pat Narduzzi defensive minded coach. They have one of the best defenses in the entire country, the number 11 overall defense in total defense. And then, you know, an offense that really doesn't scare too many opponents. It's not one of the ACC's finest to put it bluntly. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball, you know, centered around Kenny Pickett, a junior quarterback. He's been there a while. Uh, he's the guy that runs the show for them. Yeah, he's the guy that kind of is in the center of everything. I mean, clearly at quarterback, that's the case for a lot of teams. But given his ability on the ground and how much they throw the ball, um, all eyes are on Kenny Pickett um, at quarterback for Pittsburgh in terms of what the Pittsburgh offense is going to be able to do. Um they haven't really had much success this year. Um, it's a little weird. You talked about how good the defense was. The offense doesn't fit and doesn't really back it up or, or really help them out too much. I mean, I think they're 103rd in yards per play in the country. Um, they throw the ball more than any team in the ACC, but not down the field. So I think Pickett's yards per completion is like just over six yards per completion, which is in the bottom third of the ACC in terms of quarterbacks. So they're not an efficient offense. They're not, they're a terrible running, running, um, running team. As far as their rushing offense goes, it's just an offense that, you know, if they had Maurice French, playing that's he's a he's a weapon and a dynamic player with the ball in his hands but even he's you know he's their leading receiver but even but he's not a downfield threat he's just a guy they get the ball under their hands um on short passes so it's it's a weird inefficient not very good offense and that's that's probably if you feel like Virginia Tech has the advantage it's it's because the Pittsburgh offense going on the road in Blacksburg 
considering how well Virginia Tech's defense has played, you got to think that that's a huge advantage for the Hokies. Yeah, and it, it is a bit absurd looking at the stats for Kenny Pickett. To bring it into perspective, he throws roughly 35 times a game. Uh, last week he had 51 attempts, something around that there. And, uh, you know, he's he's not a guy that, you know, you Virginia Tech fans have seen Sam Howell, uh, Jamie Newman, Ian Book, guys that can punish you down the field. Kenny Pickett really isn't that quarterback. He's not trying to lob it as far as he can and have guys running under the ball and, you know, all those highlight videos from last season and earlier in 2019 of Virginia Tech defensive backs getting burned. It's not that kind of offense. A lot of it occurs around the line of scrimmage. Uh, You know, they really do anything they can to get the ball into their playmakers' hands. And like you said, you know, really highlighted by Maurice French. And I believe he has a broken jaw. That doesn't sound good. Does not sound like you want to play through a broken jaw. That does not sound pleasant whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I really don't think he's going to be playing in this one. How long uh, would you be out of commission if you had a broken jaw? I mean, honestly, I would apply for a medical red shirt right then and there. Yeah. A broken jaw. Imagine laying out for a catch and smacking your head into the turf. Imagine with a hitting broken. A, imagine <laughs> or hitting just being a dummy hit. in practice. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, I would shy away from any blocking on the perimeter. I mean, it's just, it, it, come on. You, you, you can't play through a broken jaw. Um, but we'll, I, I think it happened two weeks ago. So very, very doubtful for this game. Um, but outside of that, you know, a rebuilding offensive line. They do have a senior, a couple juniors. Um, but, but overall, this offensive unit, really not that scary. And... You mentioned it, 103rd in yards per play. I mean, there's no surprises with this Pittsburgh offense. Yeah, they, you know, they can't run the ball. Um, they're running back AJ Jones, I think is his name. AJ Davis. I knew it was something like that, a common last name. <laughs> um, he's got over a little over 400 yards. Valique Carter is another guy there. They're actually. Davis is actually their second leading receiver, right? If you take French out, their leading receivers um, to Sear Mack, who is a speedster. If he, if they're throwing the ball down the field, it's probably going to go to either Mack or this guy, Shockey Jacques-Louis, who uh, came on. He didn't do anything in the first half of the year, and then last week he comes up with four catches for 104 yards. So those are your two receiving threats, but Mack is definitely the – the primary target. And then if you combine what Davis and Carter have done out of the backfield, they've caught around 30 balls. Um, so it's a weird, it's a weird offense where they can't run the ball. They throw the ball more than any other team, but they don't throw it to many different receivers. Um, French is the leading guy. He'll be out. Mac is the next leading guy. Um, with 59 catches, I think is what he has. And then it drops off to the to the running back Davis after that. So it's like this weird offense where they're, they'll spread you out and run the shotgun and do all that and line up and run the ball and all that stuff. But they're not really throwing to that many targets. 
So you you have to think when you're looking at how they match up with Virginia Tech, who has two really good cornerbacks in Jermaine Waller and Caleb Farley, that an offense that, number one, can't run the ball, and number two is probably only going to have one real receiving threat that plays right into their hands. Yeah, not only can Pittsburgh seemingly not run the ball, Virginia Tech's run D has been outstanding recently, and it's not going to get any easier for this Pittsburgh Panthers offense. You know, throwing the ball, I think that's where Bud Foster wants to put the game on Kenny Pickett's shoulders, make him force some throws, go on the run, you know, scrambling drills, anything to get him uncomfortable in the pocket where he's forced to make reactionary decisions. I think that's where we've seen a lot of these turnovers for Virginia Tech in recent weeks when they get pressure to the quarterback. We've seen Dax Hollyfield with three interceptions off of that. Uh, You know, Caleb Farley shut down corner, Jermaine Waller. You know, they're playing very well in the back end that they can trust the guys to send pressure, force Pickett to make, uh, you know, untimely decisions and then try to force turnovers. So we talk about it all the time. Turnover is very important to any game. You know, what is the turnover potential for this Virginia Tech defense against the Pittsburgh offense? I think it's pretty high. and I think you covered a lot of it. Pickett's thrown eight picks um, this game, and he's thrown two each in four ACC games this year. Um, So he's, you know, susceptible to throwing picks and, you know, watching him, watching four or five of their games this year. A lot of it is on these like overthrows and and rush decisions where he's scrambling to make plays and extend, um, extend plays with his legs. And that's, that's really his game and who he is. He's not a quarterback that's going to stand tall in the pocket and deliver passes downfield all game and all that. Um, He's a guy that's going to drop back. And if they're trying to make a play downfield, He's gonna. He's likely taking off, and it becomes a scramble drill with receivers working back to the ball and all that. So I think if you can get pressure on him um, and get him on the run and, and kind of stay, keep that pressure on him, you know, you don't want him scrambling out to the right with a whole bunch of time. Once he gets out there, you want him kind of, you know, if Jamari Connor or Rayshard Ashby or somebody's breathing down his neck, that's where you can get him to make a, make a poor decision or to overthrow it. Um, so I think that's a situation where Virginia Tech could come up with a couple of picks, especially when you think about how how tight Farley and, and or Waller are going to be able to play Mac as their top receiver. Um, I think you could probably bait them into some tough decisions. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's tough to talk a lot about this Pittsburgh offense because to be honest you know there isn't too much there I guess the way I would you know put it all under one umbrella is it's the offense that would love to get four yards on every single play well that's the yeah four four yards and a cloud of dust Um, if they pick up four yards with their running backs I think they're thrilled and I think that's the key in terms of picket is forcing him to make that the throw on the run the throw under pressure where where it's not a comfortable throw and where his 
his completion percentage is going to be down and the chances of a turnover are going to be up as we talked about. But more importantly, he's not taking the three or four yards that he couldn't pick up on the ground. Um, you know, he could roll out right and tuck and run and just take his three yards and live to fight another day. But if you could, if you can force him in those situations to try and squeeze a pass in there or, you know, make a tough throw to the sideline that ends up being incomplete, I think that's where Virginia Tech can have some success. And I think the matchup to watch here, and you alluded to it a little bit, but the containment on the perimeter, Chamari Connor, you know, versus Kenny Pickett when he's scrambling, I think that's going to be, you know, the key to watch. If it's third down, I know you have some interesting statistics for us, but when it's third down, if Virginia Tech can force some negative plays, keep them behind the yard to gain, then I think, you know, it's a success for the Virginia Tech defense. Yeah, it's interesting. They've they've thrown the ball on 103 third downs this year. Um, and only 20 of those pass attempts are in the 7 to 9 third and seven, third and eight, third and nine range. So that feels like a range where you would typically get a pass, but they seem to be um, willing to run it and, you know, take their chances there um, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to forcing a pass somewhere. So it'll be interesting on third down to see what they can do. Third down is going to be huge in this game, and I think we'll get to this on the other side of the ball. Um, shortly, but what what do, do both teams really do on third downs, and and can the opposing defense get them off the field? That's big in any game, but I feel like in this game, where particularly for Pittsburgh with such a below average offense, extending drives and having long drives and and being able to switch to field position maybe by just getting two or three first downs is going to be huge for them. And the last thing I want to bring up is the weather and how it affects this Pittsburgh offense. It's not going to be sunshine and, and beautiful blue skies. It's going to be a rainy one in Blacksburg, a little bit of wind, very cold, not going to be a pretty game. It's going to be the type of game that really defines Pitt. I feel like every time I think about <laughs> a Pitt and Virginia tech game, it's always raining. But on top of that, I have a huge grudge with Kenny Pickett. He's a double glove wearing quarterback. Oh God, really? He has small hands, so he wears two gloves so he can grip the ball better. So I think it's going to be a very ugly affair when he comes to Lane Stadium when it's raining and he can't handle the ball that well. I think he's going to play a very ugly type of game. And you know, I made those comments that he's the all the he's the type to do anything it takes. You know, not perfect in any one category, not great statistically in any one category, but he'll do whatever he can for his offense. And, you know, I think it's going to be extremely ugly because he wears two gloves. If if all, nothing else, it's because he's wearing two gloves. Exactly. <laughs> but I think that's going to be a huge factor is the weather. And it doesn't look great by any stretch. Um, no. <laughs> lower 40s and raining in November in Blacksburg doesn't really um, doesn't really bode well for the passing game to to develop on either side but when you look at Pittsburgh's offense 
as a team that can't that isn't good at running the ball in good conditions um if it's pouring down rain or if it's it's just wet and cold and throwing the ball isn't an option in the first place um you have to have a good running game to win those kind of games and and they don't have that kind of running game um so i think that's another you know situation and example of playing Virginia Tech's defense, especially right now with how well they're playing, if you can't run the ball and they can and they know you're one dimensional, that's gonna be a problem. Anything else to add on Pittsburgh's offense? Not really. I mean, I think we've got, talked about as <laughs> yeah. much as we can. Let's talk. move on, please. Please. I mean, Pickett's dangerous and can make plays with his legs that will frustrate people, but this is a team that scored ten points against ten points against beat, uh, Georgia Tech, twelve in a loss against Miami, um, ten against Penn State, fourteen against Virginia. So you know they're a roller coaster offense, and you can shut them down pretty pretty good. Yeah, and I do want to move now to the defense, which I think will excite us a little more to talk about now if the Pittsburgh offense is like mcdonald's that's been sitting out for seven days whereas this pittsburgh defense is like a nice filet mignon you get at a graduation dinner or like a fresh mcchicken off the dollar menu yeah (laughs) (laughs) but let's talk about this defense number 11 in the country in total defense highlighted by their defensive line and their defensive backfield I mean, their linebackers are stellar as well. Where do you want to start on this defense? You got to start up front on the line. Um, Jalen Twyman, at defensive tackle, he's wearing Aaron Donald's number 97, which, as I understand it, that's like wearing Michael Vick's number seven um, at Pittsburgh, especially for a defensive tackle, and he deserves it. He's a He's a – beast of a defensive tackle and it's going to be a load to handle and um and he's a sophomore so i don't know if he's a redshirt sophomore he might be so maybe he'll leave after this year but if not for jane tech's got at least another year of dealing with him and then he's got a buddy at defensive end patrick jones the second who is a chesapeake virginia native and a clear, <laughs> a clear miss you, you talk about if Virginia Tech could have Patrick Jones a second and in, in, in Wake Forest's uh Boogie. Boogie Basham. Um as Virginia Virginia native defensive ends that got away. Um he's I think he's got I mean they lead the team they lead the country in sacks with, with forty five sacks. So um just a and it's basically all up front in that front seven, particularly those two guys they're disruptive, and you watch them, particularly that Carolina game last week, and the quarterback just does not have time at all before they're before they're on them, and the, the pocket is basically collapsing at the snap. Um, so, for, so it's going to be a huge test for um, Virginia Tech's offensive line, especially especially that right side Hudson Nestor and Tenuta have been so good recently, but this is a big challenge for him. 
Yeah, and this defensive line must live in the cafeteria and the weight room. I'm looking at the at the size of all of them. I mean, defensive tackles not massive. You know, Jalen Twyman, 6'2", 290. Keyshawn Camp, 6'4", 285. Uh, Amir Watts, 6'3", 295 at defensive tackle. So nothing out of the ordinary there. But the defensive ends, Patrick Jones, the second, 6'5", 260. Deslin Alexander, 6'4", 265. Deslin Alexander is basically Norrell Pollard's size. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, and and the backups too are all it seems above. You want to give you want to give that name a try there? Yeah, Habak <laughs> Habakuk Baldonado. Habakuk Baldonado. I hope um, we get to see him. Number eighty-seven, wearing def- wearing a defensive end number. That's he's a, a strange. He's one. a freshman and got four sacks. So just you know, add him to the uh, list. Yeah. So obviously, this defensive line brings a ton of pressure. I think the good news is that. You know, Hendon Hooker really hasn't been sitting all day in the pocket, even though the protection has been very good for Virginia Tech. He gets the ball out pretty quickly. So there's ways to counter it. You, what they've been doing with the jet sweeps to bring it to the perimeter game, short passes, uh, you know, the tight end screens. I think the biggest worry here is if the defensive line of, of Pittsburgh gets enough push that they're closing those gaps that we've been seeing open up by this Virginia Tech offensive line. And all of a sudden, Hendon Hooker, Keyshawn King, Deshaun McLeese don't really have that room to run. I think that's where the concern is with the defensive line. Yeah, the, there's there's certainly a chance. I mean, this is why having a big defensive line is so huge in any football game is there's a chance that that defensive line can just control the line of scrimmage and, and shut down the offense basically by themselves, but I think you touched on it in terms of how Virginia Tech's offense plays, like their scheme-wise. I think it, it it fits well against a big, fast, aggressive front seven that's clearly with 45 sacks and the number one, as the number one, as the nation's best sackers. I don't know if that's the best term. <laughs> The Pittsburgh Sackers. Um, The Pittsburgh Sackers. Um, Clearly, they love to get after the quarterback, pin their ears back, and go get them. That plays right into the hands of a team like Virginia Tech, where Hinton Hooker, like you said, is not sitting back in the pocket and waiting for receivers to come open down the field. If he's taking a shot downfield this year, it's mostly been on a you know, a play that Virginia Tech has identified that he's going to have a shot or have a good matchup there. So um, he's not going to drop back 35 times in the game and give them an easy target to go after. There's going to be the slip screen to the tight ends. They ran a couple screens to King and um, McLeese. Then you've got you know, just a simple passing game. And that's before you get into the, the running game where you can you can either hand it to McLeese and King. So you could hand it to McLeese and King going, like, for example, going left. But then you, there's also the threat of Hooker keeping any, any, any run and going around the other side. So you have kind of a neutralizer there. Um, and then you throw in the jet sweep game with Tavion Robinson and Trey Turner where he could either hand it and they'll be on the perimeter 
before that defensive line can can really make a make a play or hooker might keep it if that defensive line gets too far upfield so i think in terms of how virginia tech plays and the in the scheme and the plays that Cornelson calls and all of that, if you're gonna pick a kind of offense that can have success against the, this kind of defense and, you know, keep them off balance, keep them off guard and really kind of stymie that pass rush. This is the kind of offense If Virginia tech was like, you know, a traditional run it between the tackles, you know, run heavy team you would be very concerned but that's not that's not virginia tech's offense right now and i think it's safe to say that virginia tech cannot afford to get into third and longs that this nope. this pittsburgh <laughs> defensive line will just wreak havoc if that happens 45 sacks and i think it was 21 of them were on third down essentially half yeah so yeah third and long not going to be a great situation for Virginia Tech because um, that's that's certainly when Pittsburgh likes to get after the the quarterback and um, I mean that's that's also the case for any team but um, I think I think you'll see watching Virginia Tech on first and second down is going to be huge if they can get into third and short situations they'll be successful I think. What can you tell me about? The set of linebackers for Pittsburgh. Kylan Johnson is there. He's an outside linebacker by layman's terms. Pittsburgh's got him let, listed on the depth chart as a money linebacker, which is awesome. That is so um, good. <laughs> way better than the whip. Yeah, way better than the whip and <laughs> way better than outside linebacker. Um, he's a transfer from Florida. He's who might be the all ACC backer. Um, he's a guy that um, clearly coming from Florida, he's got a lot of talent, a lot of athleticism. That's kind of defensive player that Florida will recruit. And he's just transferred here to Pittsburgh to play his final year. And he's, he's delivered. He's a, he's a really good linebacker and somebody that you, should keep an eye on um, bright wells is their mike linebacker he's a classic mike linebacker six foot 230 pounds um, not gonna blow you away with speed or um, athleticism or anything like that i think he's he's only fourth on the team with what's that 42 tackles so i mean he's solid johnson's the guy to watch cam bright is another guy to watch he splits time at another linebacker spot um you might recognize the name Chase Pine as a former uh, Virginia Tech. <laughs> How many former... times have we said that so far? <laughs> like every like... roster we've gone over in the month of November has been like, yeah, this guy was a one-time lean to Virginia Tech. You might remember this recruiting miss. <laughs> uh, we need to this do a segment fun. like recruiting miss of the week. Um, oh, man. Yeah, but he's he's a backup at two linebacker spots. So, you know, linebackers, they're – they're pretty good. Johnson's the star, but the story is going to be up front with the defensive line and then in the secondary. And speaking of the secondary. Segway. <laughs> very strong pieces in the secondary. I've noticed a lot of these guys. I've been watching a lot of Pittsburgh this year. I'm surprised at how good they've been this year, um, despite really not having an offense. 
Um, but when you look at the back end for Pittsburgh, I think it's centered around DeMar Hamlin, Paris Ford, the pair of safeties. I think you could argue that both could be high all ACC selections. Uh, and then Dane Jackson at cornerback. Yeah, Jackson, Ford, Hamlin, and they have another one. Who's the other starter? Damari Mathis. They're all really good, really good defensive backs. Dane Jackson's a senior. Our Hamlin's a senior. Um, normally, I read this in the preview. Normally, if you were any Virginia Tech game this year, if Damon Hazelton and Trey Turner are healthy, you're going to give them the edge against just about every team they play. That's not this game. Jackson and Mathis at corner, Hamlin at free safety, and then Ford. You mentioned he's the youngest one. He's the sophomore, and he's awesome. He's going to be a great player if he's not already. But th- this is a as tough a matchup for Trey Turner and Damon, Damon Hazleton and the rest of the Virginia Tech receivers as they've had all year. Um, Pittsburgh's number one in the country and not only sacks, but in passes defended, which is the combination of interceptions, which they have eight, which is um, not as high in the country, but passes passes broken up. They've had 60 pass breakups this year, um, which is number one in the country. Ford's had 10 of them from his safety spot. Jackson's had 11. Mathis has had 10. So... Even their backup, one of the, their third string corners, Jason Pinnock, has seven. So, I mean, they're just a really talented secondary that is going to challenge Virginia Tech's receivers for sure. Yeah, and, you know, this group in particular, you look at the defensive line and the secondary of Pittsburgh, and I know everyone wants to play the comparison game. What does this team remind you of? You know, when comparing all the different units of every defense that the Virginia Tech offense has seen this year, I think it's hands down this defensive line and secondary is at the top of the list. Yeah, they're they're clearly the best team, team defense that Virginia Tech has faced this year. Um, I guess Notre Dame was pretty good. Miami was pretty good. Other than that, Virginia Tech has not come anywhere close to facing the kind of defense that they're going to face on Saturday, and it's because of that defensive line, and it's because of that secondary. And people talk about it all all the time about how if you got a good defensive line, it helps out your secondary because you're getting pressure on them and forcing them to bad throws. And then people will go the other way and say if you got a good secondary, you know, you're, you're getting coverage sacks and quarterbacks can't make the throw. So it helps out your defensive line. And that's, you know, basically what's happening here, except they've got really good players at both positions. So it'll be interesting to see just how well or just how the, the Virginia Tech receivers, especially Turner and Hazleton match up here. Um, if you think back to that 2016 game, against against Pittsburgh that Tech won 39-36 in, in Pittsburgh, where it was basically the Isaiah Ford show and Cam Phillips show and Bucky Hodge show winning one-on-one battles. The jump ball offense. The, the jump, there's a jump ball offense since the game Narduzzi lost his mind because he <laughs> thought they were... <laughs> they thought that he thought there was 100 pass interference calls 
that were missed. But, you know, that's the kind of separation that, that is probably going to happen in this game. It's not much at all. It's going to be a lot of one-on-one battles and who wins it. And it's going to be interesting, too, because we alluded to it a little earlier, but the weather could really impact a lot of what Virginia Tech likes to do when they do take their shots, if they're comfortable with... We haven't seen Hendon Hooker in adverse weather conditions, and I do have to admit my concern. We have seen a few fumbles from Hendon Hooker. Will the weather play a factor in some of those pre-snap adjustments? Will, will it play a factor in handling the ball? You know, they, they've been running so many read options, so many... Um, you know, end arounds or jet sweeps that, you know, it's a, it's a lot of pressure on Hendon to take care of the ball. And then on top of that, to make enough plays against this really, really good Pittsburgh defense that, you know, I'm not certain how much we're going to see Trey Turner, at least going by any of these cornerbacks or safeties deep down the field. I think, you know, the way that Virginia tech's going to want to attack this defense will primarily focus on the ground game, being able to establish it in this kind of weather conditions. And then I think really, you know, although the offense is on Hendon Hooker's shoulders to run it and execute it to perfection, I think this is a huge game for the tight ends. I think it's a huge game for James Mitchell. If he gets out into the open space and is, you know, one-on-one or two-on-two with Dalton Keene Rambo blocking in front of him, I think that's where you gain your advantages for this Virginia Tech offense. Yeah, I think for sure you you hit the nail on the head on a lot of points there. Number one, the turnovers from Hooker. He's been great. He hasn't thrown a pick yet, but he's clearly going to throw a pick at some point in his life. Um, And you wonder if in a potentially rainy game where the ball's wet and his footing isn't great and he's facing a defensive line that's probably going to be in his face. If that's coming, you touched on the mesh point, the the jet sweet fumbles. Um, obviously, the Duke one stands out. Patterson's one against Notre Dame stands out. You think if their defensive line is so good that they're going to be on you quick, that puts a lot more pressure on making that handoff um, than, you know, just any other handoff where it's a pretty comfortable handoff to make. Um, we talked a lot about how their defensive backs are so good, but because of the weather, they might, their impact might be negated um, in terms of what they prevent down the field in terms of the big plays from Turner and Hazleton. Um you think at the end of the day, the receiver knows where he's going and the and the, the corner is trying to guess and figure it out mid-play. So if it's raining and Virginia Tech just uses Turner and Hazleton on comeback routes and things like that on simple throws, you got to think that they'll have the advantage to make those kind of plays. And those tight ends, if if it's raining as much as they think it might rain, and this is just the running a battle of the running games. Clearly, those those little play action dump passes where Keen Keen has Mitchell in front of him, or Mitchell has Keen in front of him. Um, you know, if Virginia Tech's ran eight eight running plays in a row that look like that, eventually they'll be able to pull it and find a find the tight end in the flat. So I I agree with you completely there. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the depth chart for Pittsburgh, and you know. 
I know a lot of people would say, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter your your height and weight on the defensive side. But, you know, outside that defensive line, it is a smaller defense in Pittsburgh. You know, a lot of the linebackers around 230, um, you know, the safeties and and corners really around 200 or under 200. You know, you look at Virginia Tech and, uh, you know, the linebackers are a bit smaller. But when you look at the defensive backfield for Virginia Tech, you have both safeties over 220. So it is a smaller group outside of that defensive line. And I'm just thinking if, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it in my head right now, just uh, a clip of James Mitchell at 250 who runs like a running back. If he gets into open space, I mean, it, it really could be those are going to be the big plays on the afternoon, um, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be a very grueling, physical, ugly type of atmosphere with the weather. And I guess, you know, the, the one point we haven't brought up yet about Hendon Hooker, he doesn't wear two gloves, so he should be fine. Right. He's just, I mean, he's, he's fine. He doesn't bother him. Clearly, if you wear two gloves, the rain and the cold clearly bothers you. Um, so Hooker's probably going to be fine. Although, do we know if Hooker wears two gloves? He does not. Confirmed. In in the rain? In, we don't, Confirmed. We don't, he does not. <laughs> he does not. All right. Um, he has his yeah. little hand warmer, like... He's his little hand warmer his little, around his, his waist. Little, right. That'll keep it dry, you know? Yeah, he's good. Yeah, so I think Virginia Tech should be fine there if you're talking about him going up against this Pittsburgh defense and this <laughs> Pittsburgh secondary. He doesn't wear gloves, so lock it in. 45 sacks just means nothing. Throw it out the window. <laughs> no, they haven't seen somebody play with no gloves. They, they practice all the time. Pickets Do you think that's why gloves. they have you think that's why they have so many sacks? Just because, and I'll get off this point in a second, but because they see Kenny Pickett in practice every day wearing two gloves, they must be so pissed off. That's why they have so many sacks. Yeah, I, I see no problem with that argument. 100% foolproof. <laughs> Perfect logic there. Uh, anything else to add about this Pittsburgh defense? No, we covered it. Uh, I can normally work up something else to say about these guys, but... No, we're good. Scary. Again, the filet mignon compared to the seven-day left-out happy meal of the Pittsburgh offense. I still like the McChicken fresh off the dollar menu. I'm not talking fresh. I'm saying seven days late. All right. <laughs> um, special teams, anything to worry about? Do you even want to attempt to pronounce the punter's name of of the Pittsburgh Panthers? Uh, Hold on. Let me pull up the depth <laughs> chart. You're... Good luck. Surprise me. Their whole They have so many names. They're the all names okay. team too. Number ninety-eight. Kirk Christodalu. <laughs> Christodululu. Christodululu. And the long snappers Cal Adamitis. Yeah, they have a lot of great names on this team. I'm just looking at. I mean, you mentioned what was that guy's name? Like Shockey Jacques Louis or something? Jacques Louis, yeah. And then they have Maurice French, like a you know two French receivers. Oh no, the French, but, yeah. All right, let's move on to some questions. So we had a thread earlier in the week. We addressed a lot of the questions concerning Georgia Tech, and now we have a a whole lot of them. Some are overarching questions about the team, some personnel, if they'll be out there or not. 
and then a lot of them to do with this game against Pittsburgh. So let's just jump right on into it. Bon Jovi Hokie. He asked, Caleb Stewart looked good again. What's the deal there? Um, can't tell me he shouldn't have gotten number two carries when King was out. What am I missing? So I guess Caleb Stewart's in the uh, Coleman Fox role of impressing during garbage, garbage. time. Um, looked good. He, he did, but, you know, that, that was against the Georgia Tech team that had quit and was playing backups and all that stuff late in the game. So um, I'm going to trust the coaches here that they just don't feel like giving his reps away from a McLeese or, you know, when King was out, a Dalton King, a Dalton Keen um, will be as effective. Um, and I think that much is clear at this point of the season. Yeah. And I know that in the preseason, he was, it was a big, a bit of a doghouse situation. Uh, he considered walking up off the field and leaving the team, um, came back, and since then, I think it's been a little iffy there. You know, if there is future attrition, maybe a guy like Caleb Stewart would test the NCAA portal. But, you know, as things stand, you know, like you said, you have King, you have McLeese. The offense has been performing exceptionally well. The rushing attack has never looked better. No need to change things up. I think it, you know, I think it's fine. Yes, you know, it's when King and when King's healthy, you're having King and McLeese carry twenty-ish times a game, and then you get Hooker with his ten-ish times a game, and you get Turner and Robinson and maybe James Mitchell a couple of carries, and that's basically your rushing game. The next question from VTUD: What are the biggest challenges that Pitt presents for VT on offense and defense? Sounds like we just covered that pretty in depth. <laughs> Anything to add? Offense. Or summarize. Offense, the biggest challenge is Pickett's ability to extend plays and if he can pick up yards on his own. Um, Tasir Mack is a guy that could get loose down the field along with Jacques Louis. Um, but I don't think that's among the biggest challenges. Um, Pickett's probably the biggest one in terms of extending drives and picking up. He's not going to break a long touchdown run, but he might pick up four or five or six yards at a time and extend drives and, and move Pitt down the field that way. You want to take the defense? Uh, everything about their defense, their pass rush is probably the biggest challenge. Um, again, third and long if Virginia Tech can't establish the run and those Pittsburgh defensive ends and defensive tackles are able to pin their ears back and just do whatever they want, just go after the quarterback. I think that's the scariest part of this Pittsburgh defense. Um, and then another challenge is clearly their secondary, being able to be so sound in coverage. Again, we mentioned that the weather might, you know, make them a non-factor. You know, we'll see what ends up happening because, again, Blacksburg weather varies so much. It could be sunny in 65. Um, but, you know, in all reality... Um, you know, it, it's going to be a tough day for Damon Hazleton and Trey Turner. 
and uh, you know, seeing if if they can win their matchups there. I think you just jinxed it by saying it could be sunny in sixty-five. I hope it is. <laughs> I think you jinxed it, and now it's probably going to be colder than expected in icing or something. Uh, so a, mon- a monsoon is coming in. Yeah. Next question. Oh. Something about the Arlington Wolves. Opie Scrubs <laughs> asks, can we buy you out of your rec league for $20 and replace you with Dion? I don't know who Dion is, but listen, I'm committed to the program. I'm committed to building excellent excellence, <laughs> building character of these young individuals, going back to back. You know, I just signed a seven-year extension with a $15 million buyout. Um, so yeah, please don't buy me out. I'm, I'm very happy where I am. What's the number that it would take to buy you out? $25. (laughs) Remember you can pay that buyout out over three or four years, just like the Fuente buyout. So it could be eased out. If it's, I would take a $25 buyout because we don't get paid for this. So how about like one McChicken per there, month? There you go. <laughs> For two and a, two years and three months. There you go. Um, <laughs> next question from 1990 Hokie. He has a few questions here. I thought I saw Peyute in at least once against Georgia Tech. How was he used? And are we expecting to see him against Pitt? Is, <laughs> that, is, is that how you say his name? Really? Payout. Payute. Payout, payute. I like them both ways, but um, buyout, payout, same thing. Yeah, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember him playing against Georgia Tech. I do remember seeing him dressed out against Wake. Um, you know, I think it, he's a Fuente likes to use the red shirt rule late in the year to help cover holes on special teams. Um, that's probably where he's being used. If he's being used on kick coverage or something like that. Um, I certainly don't expect to see him on offense at this point of the year, you know, with two games to go, putting him in the game on offense at wide receiver would mean you're taking out either Trey Turner, Damon Hazleton, Tavion Robinson, James Mitchell, Dalton Keene. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Simple answer. No expecting to see him. I expect to see him dressed. I think they're just trying to get him into the routine of game day, seeing what it's like to be dressed on the sidelines, all that jazz, so that he's ready for next year. I do think that's a good sign as far as how he's coming along and what you might expect of him next year. I mean, they don't let just anybody dress, um, particularly at home games. So, um, you know, I think that's a good sign that he's one of the guys that is close enough to playing that he's dressing out on Saturdays. Next question from GC Hokey 10. I got this one. When's the Ray Guy Award ceremony? It is December 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN by the Augusta Sports Foundation. It'll be presented among the College Football Awards. And, you know, big news. Oscar Bradburn, one of 10 finalists for the Ray Guy Award. So everyone should be tuning in for that. I know they have a fan vote going on right now. And Oscar and Tommy Towson, the Florida punter, are currently neck and neck to gain the points or whatever comes from it from the Ray Guy fan vote. 
Um, and obviously a lot of other writers will be voting on that as well. I expect Oscar Bradburn to win this. And now I don't think I can urge anyone here to vote for Oscar Bradburn because I think that'd be going against the whole bias thing. But if you click on the link and you happen to see Oscar Bradburn there, I heard people have won free beer or free Chipotle for a year. I'm just saying. You you should test it out. I certainly didn't. Yeah. Um <laughs> Ray Guy Awards could be a good good show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. Also from nineteen hundred hokey. What happened to Hazelton Saturday? Was he hurt or benched after attempting to block for King on what should have been an easy touchdown? He was not hurt. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think he was hurt. That was a pretty weak effort there on that block. But it also could have been that the game got out of hand real quick. Um, but I don't think that's going to be an issue this week or next week with regards to his playing time. Yeah, he'll be he'll be on the field. He hasn't been the best blocker, and I will say that Virginia Tech and especially Justin Fuente has been very adamant that he wants to see better blocking at, out of wide receivers for how, you know, every year that he's been at Virginia Tech, he's been urging his wide receivers to be better at blocking the perimeter. And, you know, I sometimes Hazleton seems to take a, a, a few plays off. Um, he normally is a good blocker just because he is more physically imposing than a lot of the corners he's going against. But, you know, in, in, in total, yeah, I think I think uh, you can read between the lines there. Um, the next question from VTUD. He wants to know. Issue, bad luck, or something else? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they're, you know, the hamstrings nag people. So I don't know. Yeah, look, <laughs> you, ne- you never want you never want injuries, but I feel like there's been so many times where we've seen season-ending injuries, and knock on wood that, you know, every Virginia Tech player is healthy for the remainder of the year. But, you know, it, it is weird that they all appear to be hamstring injuries. Um, but, you know, a lot of them have come back. So I've been urging Ben Hilgert, uh, the the strength and conditioning coach, to go to a to get his master's in hamstring studies so that he can get it figured out for next year because he seems to have everything else figured out. Yeah, if they could just figure out how to keep the wide receivers healthy for the 12 games, that'd be great. <laughs> Ty Gamma 7, any insight on French playing? Maurice French, the wide receiver for Pittsburgh, their leading receiver. We touched on this earlier. He has a broken jaw. <laughs> I've I've just been Googling around on this in the last couple minutes, and... Uh... I mean, I see the play that he broke his jaw, and it doesn't look terrible. So what does broken jaw mean? Um, They have a couple examples in here, like 
L.A. Rams linebacker Clay Matthews broke his jaw on October 3rd, and he didn't come back until November 10th. Um, if he follows other athletes and they're listing like Sidney Crosby here, this is so Pittsburgh. Um, they're expecting four to six weeks. So I don't, I, you can't, I can't imagine him playing. Um, <laughs> just a couple weeks after breaking his jaw. It's like two weeks. I think Narduzzi is playing a little uh, gamesmanship there with by saying he's day to day, but and it comes down to intolerance. But I'm, no, it doesn't. It comes down to whether he's going to shatter his jaw again, or whether <laughs> it's fully healed. I mean, like, come on! Like you can't, you can't fully breathe. I mean, you're you're going to shy away from contact. You're not going to be at your best. I mean, just you know, rest him at least for the bowl game. Come on, man! He's a broken he, uh, jaw. They list. I mean, they update the depth chart every week, and he's listed as an or, which I guess that means they're really playing up the games and ship. On November nineteenth, yesterday, he tweeted, "Relax, nothing is broken." Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I can't. Ex- I don't imagine him playing. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, Ivy Hokey Twelve asks some rumblings about. Deshaun Crawford not playing after he limped off the field on the last play. Have you guys heard anything about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, look, he's he's been hurt this season. And, you know, he, he's said that he's been fine before and then ended up missing some time. I want to believe that he's going to be healthy. Obviously not at 100%, but he wasn't at 100% last week against Georgia Tech and he was what the defensive lineman of the week so yes I do expect him to play I would be surprised if he does not play and I have not heard that he's definitely out yeah he's been hurt since that Miami game where he got hurt at the end of the first half and um yeah we'll see I mean you think about playing Virginia Tech's defensive tackles and before the season or even earlier this year, if he said, okay, one of the starters is going to miss the most important of the game of the year, you'd be a little worried. But I think, I think even if he can't play or he has to play a reduced role, Virginia Tech will be fine there. All right. Last question. And then we'll quickly go over our predictions and then sign off for this week. But Schmidt show 76 says drop scoops. Um, <laughs> any injury updates on either side of the ball? Any other recruiting tidbits? Go into the rules of the Orange Bowl selection, other bowl selection process. I mean, we could go into a lot of bowls. I think we should stick to the Orange Bowl. In terms of scoops, it's tough because obviously CZY and Evan do a great job of of really collecting a lot of information. And a lot of it is their news to share and not really mine, and um, I will say... Definitely not mine. <laughs> I will say the short list or whatever's being made up right now uh, or, or told to us about the defensive coordinator position will be very interesting. I think a lot of people will be surprised and genuinely happy. Uh, in terms of injury updates, I haven't... Wow, that's some scoop. Not, I, I can't really say too much about it. No, but... that's good enough. That'll, that'll... 
<laughs> That'll get him going. A younger guy. It'll be it'll be interesting. But um in, in terms of injury updates, it's really Deshaun Crawford. Um we saw Ashby last week. He looks fine. Um, you know, Caleb Farley seems as close as he's gonna be to a hundred percent. Um, and then, you know, on the offensive side, everyone seems pretty good. Um besides Danzy. Yeah, besides yeah, Danzy. Danzy and then TJ Jackson was playing a little bit last week, so I wonder if if he's he's either playing well enough in practice again to get time or maybe like Taduda's a little nicked up or something like that. And Campbell, a four-star running back out of Texas, really good relationship with Demetrius Davis. Now, he's a 2021 guy, so I wouldn't expect a commitment out of this weekend, but I'm not counting it out. He really... Go ahead. I said not the best weather um, to induce a commitment this weekend at Blacksburg. (laughs) Not the best, but yeah, I mean... Um, it will be interesting. And then what else do I have regarding recruiting? Um, Tony Grimes will be on campus. Five-star guy. Um, he's coming with his dad. I know there's a lot made out of that because of the Twitter exchange that he never was introduced to coach Fuente. Now I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but all I'll say is that the, the recruiting staff does a good job of recruit of introducing recruits to the head coach every time they come on campus. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. And I guess the last thing, Doug, if you want to well cover said. This, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you want to cover this, but going into the rules of the Orange Bowl selection and how it would play out if Virginia Tech wins the next two games. Well, if they win the next two games, they're basically a lock for the Orange Bowl. If Clemson is in the playoff, um, no matter what happens in the ACC championship. Um, Well, then uh, clearly if they win the ACC championship, they'll be going to the Orange Bowl automatically. Um, I think there's an outside chance, like something funky happens and Clemson gets it without winning it. But I, I haven't looked into that much. You know, there's a strong chance whoever's the other team in the ACC championship um, is going to be the Orange Bowl represent the ACC's Orange Bowl representative. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, are quick to judge Clemson for playing in the ACC, not a tough schedule, whatever. They're not going to be jumped by Oregon. If you win out your schedule, you know, you play with the cards you're dealt. Schedules are are made years in advance. And, you know, Clemson is the defending national champion. I know that you shouldn't factor in, you know, previous seasons into it. But look, if Virginia Tech beats Pittsburgh, wins the Commonwealth Cup against Virginia, they're in. It's going to happen. Because if they lose in the ACC championship game to Clemson, Clemson's going to go in. Because Virginia Tech at that point is probably going to be a lower teen ranked or, you know, early 20s ranked team. 
So the resume looks good enough with Texas A&M and, you know, a few other schools there and being undefeated. And then if Virginia Tech wins, which would be every Virginia Tech's every Virginia Tech fans dream, then they're automatically clinched into it. So either way, I think if they make it to the ACC championship game, they're in no matter what. Clemson's going to be in this playoff no matter what. I mean, there's yeah. no way they're dropping. They're they're off this weekend, and they, they're going to smoke South Carolina, and then they'll probably win the ACC championship by two or three touchdowns at least. And, <laughs> I mean, the, people still remember them struggling against, like, Carolina and Texas A&M. Those are literally the only two close games they've had, and they've scored 50. They scored over 50 points in the last four games and blown everybody out. So, I mean, they're a lot. Yeah. All right. Now, quickly, let's do some predictions and wrap this thing up. Doug, what you got? Who is winning on Saturday? I like the way this is setting up for Virginia Tech. Ooh, optimistic. And I think it's going to be by multiple touchdowns. Oh. I think the way Virginia Tech's defense is playing, the rain will only help them. But I think Pittsburgh's offense is limited, and I and I just don't see a way that they can score enough points to win. Um, if you look at what Virginia Tech's done defensively in November, there's no way Pittsburgh's going to score more than 21 points, which is the most points Virginia Tech has given up. You know since since the defense really started turning around with that Notre Dame game. So defensively, Virginia Tech's got a huge advantage over Pittsburgh. I think that helps in field position. Um, I think Pittsburgh is one of the most penalized teams in the country. They're 125th in penalties. Um, Give up something like 80 penalty yards each game. So, then you're looking at the Virginia Tech offense against the Pittsburgh defense. And I mentioned earlier that I think in terms of how Virginia Tech's offense plays and the scheme and all of that, it as good as Pittsburgh's defense is, I think it sets up well um, for Virginia Tech's offense to have success no matter how good they are in terms of the, sp- the screen, screen games, the jet sweeps, the quarterback runs. Um, all that stuff, I think it. I think it sets up well where Pittsburgh's not going to be able to do anything on defense, and Virginia Tech's offense is going to be able to score enough points to win this thing comfortably. We've talked a whole lot about how good their defense is. They gave up thirty to Virginia. They gave up thirty-four to UCF. They gave up thirty to Duke. They gave up twenty to Syracuse, twenty-seven to Carolina. So. You can score enough points to win, um, and I think that's probably a, a factor of you know their offense not being able to move the ball, and then they eventually lose the field position game and give up a short touchdown or a turnover or something like that. So, long story short, I think Virginia Tech wins by two touchdowns at least. I'm going to go ahead and call it a 27 to 10 Virginia Tech win. Oh my, the optimist. Mr. Bowman, where does this come from? This newfound confidence. That's what happens when you shut out a team 45-0 and you beat the Wake Forest's 
Demon Deacon's offense, you know, which, as we discussed, is a fantastic offense. Right. And, uh, you know, major respect to Virginia Tech. You know, they've steadily improved week by week. And, you know, a lot of these games, you look at the Wake Forest one, you're worried about a potential letdown against Wake Forest and such a crucial game. Then you look at Georgia Tech again. Can they validate themselves in Doug's words? And they did. They did. And and now you look at this Pittsburgh team, and I think it's very important to note, not only are they not looking past Pittsburgh for UVA, but I'm sure that 52 to 22 is in, embedded into their minds that they want revenge. They were embarrassed badly on the road at Pittsburgh last year. They want their revenge. They probably all hate Narduzzi. Do you have a, were you going to jump in? Yeah, I was just going to jump in and say, you know, coming off that 45 nothing shutout, blowout win, probably feeling mighty good about themselves. I hope the first thing Justin Fuente showed them on Sunday was the Pittsburgh Virginia Tech game from last year. If he didn't do it on Sunday, he definitely did it on Monday because they all spoke about it on Tuesday at, at their <laughs> designated press conference. And, I, I mean, everyone mentioned that game. So they, they definitely watched it maybe in slow-mo. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as Doug here. I don't know if it's going to be a two touchdown game just because these games have historically have, they've always been close. And I think the weather and how physical that Pittsburgh is, it's going to be a a tough nail biter. I think I see it as a very close game. I do see again, the avenues to win this game big. You talk about the difference between, you know, both units, Virginia Tech's offense versus Pitt's defense is, you know, they're close in level, whereas the drop-off on Pittsburgh's seven-day left-out Happy Meal offense (laughs) is a major drop-off to the Virginia Tech defense. So if you're talking about a game where both teams need to score, Virginia Tech's going to score more points. It's on the shoulders of this this, uh, Pittsburgh defense to make enough plays, turnovers, you know, really, really win that side of the matchup. And I don't think they will. Prediction, Virginia Tech 21, Pittsburgh 17. Wow, very close. Very close. All right. Well, that'll be a (laughs) (laughs) nail-biter. That will be a nail-biter. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Both of us have Virginia Tech winning. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna be an interesting one. It's a big game. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this at the top of the podcast, is that two games left, <laughs> went out, and you go to the ACC championship, um, win this game, and it sets up a winner-take-all game in Charlottesville on Black Friday. I mean... This is what, you know, for a team of Virginia Tech's level, that's not necessarily a blue blood that expects to be in the national championship race every single season. Um, this is about as good as it gets when you're talking about playing for a for a coastal championship at a in a spot in the ACC in the conference championship game down the road. So it's a huge game, and I wish the weather was a little better for you know, the crowd at Lane Stadium and all that. Um, But it should be fun regardless. 
And to anyone traveling down to the game, safe travels. Hope you stay dry. And we will see you next time. By the way, Kenny Pickett wears two gloves on his hands. Plastic gloves! Plastic gloves! Now do you do forensics like on CSI? No way! Or a little lady about to use her dog? Uh -uh. Or maybe a heart surgeon doing a bypass?